to go? Okay, the conference just happened last week, and so we've got to extract what God wants us to extract from the conference. And it's not to go over the teachings that were taught. That you can listen to the tape as soon as it's uh, online. But we have to extract what God may have shown during the conference. And so one of the things that I've strongly felt after the conference is that the conference was like a dividing line. Like a dividing line, once I find a pen, I'll draw you a dividing line. Has uh, Derek no more responsibilities in this church? All right, so um, the conference is like a dividing line, and I want to show you what I mean by a dividing line. Let me just pray so that um, we, I'm not praying till they come back. I'm just praying so that we actually pay attention. Father, this is, um, uh, for the lack of a better word, a message that is prophetic. And all that means is that you are showing ahead of time that which is going to spring forth. Because of that, I pray before I start, asking that you would have me stay within the lines and that you would have our ears open because uh, this is more what you want to say to us than what I have to say. And this is important that we hear with ears that are open and that are able to receive. I pray this now for us as a people in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So guys, it's like a dividing line. And by dividing line, uh, what I mean is, if you look at Isaiah 42 verse 9, Isaiah 42 verse 9, you'll begin to kind of get what I mean. Isaiah 42 verse 9. Isaiah 42 verse 9. Yeah, you can give out those notes. Ryan, thanks, while I'm speaking. Isaiah 42 verse 9. And in Isaiah 42 verse 9, it says, See the former things have taken place, and now the new things I declare. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you. It's almost like God saying, See, there were former things I announced. They've taken place. Now I announce new things that are going to happen. They will spring up. So I want you to pay attention. It's almost like a dividing line. The same kind of dividing line that you see in Luke 2. The same kind of dividing line that you see in Luke 2. Where in Luke 2, 48 and 49, you have Mary saying to Jesus... We have been so anxious. Your father and I have been looking for you. Your father and I have been looking for you. That's what Mary says. And look at what Jesus replies. Jesus replies, but don't you know that I would be in my father's house about my father's business. That's what I mean by dividing line. A dividing line is when there is a clear demarcation between the things that have been in the past and the things that are now in the future. It sometimes requires disconnecting with practices, people, traditions of the past and connecting to that which again may be unfamiliar and new. And it's a great time to be alive. So 
Here is Mary who says to Jesus at 12, your father and I have been looking for you. And Jesus' reply is, but don't you know that I would be in my father's house? And in that dividing line, he's establishing once and for all with Mary and Joseph that yes, I realize you are my earthly mother and father, but you must realize that I have an ass assignment and an allegiance to a father who is greater than Joseph and Mary. There is a separation here that happens at the age of 12. So we are at that point after this conference where God is saying, listen, there's a change of direction that's happening in full stride. I, I don't know if you see, I was trying to get these pic, uh, video of horses who are galloping. And while they're galloping, you'll suddenly find the lead horse or a couple of horses beginning to veer off. And then in full gallop, all the horses begin to turn. And it's literally that way. God stop and stop. While you're running, I need you to now begin to change direction. Just put up that picture, Ryan. I mean, this is the best. check okay yeah um it's almost this uh, the only reason i'm getting these pictures and i thought to myself man you're spending far too much time trying to get these pictures but the idea is to get you and i to understand what god is really doing he's not saying i want you to change direction or stuff he's saying in your full gallop just watch as i begin to veer you towards another path that you have not traveled by that is what he's trying to do and that is where we're going. Where suddenly the lead horse is beginning to veer off and the lead horse ain't me. Where suddenly the whole church will begin to veer off in a direction that we were not on. This is why I said it is a prophetic message. And by prophetic all I mean is the former things are done. Look at the new things I'm starting. Look at Isaiah 42.9 from different versions and you will see it coming through. So let me read Isaiah 42 verse 9 from different versions and you'll see it coming through. Isaiah 42 verse 9. Take note, the earlier predictions have been fulfilled. I'm announcing new salvation work before it bursts on scene. I'm telling you all about it. What I said would happen has taken place. Now I announce new things to you before they even begin to happen. I announce them to you. Behold, the former things have come to pass. The new things do I declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you them. That is the sense of it. So here's the first thing we need to understand will begin to happen uh, starting today. One, um, just like in Joshua 5.10, after 40 years of eating manna, manna suddenly stopped. In Joshua 5.10, Israel had eaten manna for 40 years, and f after 40 years, manna suddenly stops. One of the things I want us to know is the familiar is done, change is on again, get ready. If that means moving from this place, so be it. If that means changing the way we do praise and worship, so be it. If that means changing the way we do church, so be it. But the familiar is done. When we stepped out that evening and went out and stood in the parking lot, we'll get there a little later, but the familiar is done, change is on us again. One of the cool things about Acts 29 is Acts 29 has never 
had much of a problem with change. You don't even look at it as if it's a big deal. You behave as if it's part of life and it's happening again. And the strange thing is you don't even say amen and stuff like that. Looks like you're half dead, but my God, you're alive because change only happens to alive people. I never go by the response I get from you because if I did, I'd have found another church long ago. <laughs> I just know that you are so open to change. You don't even look at it as, oh no. So uh, the familiar is done. Change is on us again. Get ready. And th so that's one. The second thing is, guys, th there's an Elijah to Elisha thing happening uh, where um, Elijah was great, but uh, if you read 1 Kings 19, 19 to 21, and please follow me on these scriptures. Just for this message, actually follow the preacher. Don't go off on your own tangent. Don't start Googling. Don't text, check the text messages and WhatsApps coming through. For this message, not out of respect for me, but just perhaps if I'm right and this is God, out of respect for what he wants to do with us as a people for the benefit of the world, track along. Yeah? So, um, 1 Kings 19, 19 to 21. 1 Kings 19, 19 to 21. 1 Kings 19, 19 to 21. And here's what it says. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I'll come with you. Go back, Elijah replied, what have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen, slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people and they ate. And then he set out to follow Elijah and became his attendant. So there is this whole idea now of Jacob, we may have been connected with different people, different traditions, different ways in the past, but a time is coming when a whole new way of functioning has begun, which the people in the past have not been able to capture, nor have they been able to model it. So God will have to show us how to do this. In Isaiah 51, verse 1 and 2, it says, Look to the quarry that you have been cut from. Look to Abraham and Sarah, your mother. Go to Isaiah 51, verse 1 and 2. 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 Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness and who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were cut and to the quarry from which you were hewn. Look to Abraham, your father, and Sarah who gave you birth. When I called him, he was but one, and I blessed him and made him many. One more time. Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness and who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were cut and to the quarry from which you were hewn. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah who gave you birth. When I called him, he was but one. And I blessed him and made him many. Guys, when we read this scripture, there is a tendency to look at our grandfathers and grandmothers, our fathers and mothers, and try to stay connected to them. That is good. But what God is saying here is, listen, look to Sarah and Abraham and look to the quarry you got cut from. Because when you do, you will find that the way I do things is I start with a small number and I multiply them. That is what we need to be aware for, of. I want to say to Acts 29 that regardless of the great people that have influenced this church and have come 
and done tremendous good for us, changed the way we walk. Starting today, we do not copy their model. God is starting something brand new. We honor them for what they did, but we're not following them anymore. I know these are really strong words coming from me, but this is true. God is going to take this church and what it has become, surely by his grace, and he's going to use this to multiply. We are not severing our connections with people from the past, but we are saying that was good, but a new time has come that the old does not have an idea of. Isaiah 43, verse 16 and 19. I'll give you time to ask questions. If your questions are too sticky, don't ask them. You can ask them privately. If your questions are non-sticky, ask them. Isaiah 43, verse uh, 16 to 19. Isaiah 43, verse 16 to 19. Isaiah 43, verse 16 to 19. This is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea a path through the mighty waters who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and the reinforcements together, and they lay there never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. Forget, not, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? Let me read it from the message. I love the way the message v- words, uh, verse 18. Isaiah 43, verse 16 to 19. Isaiah 43, verse 16 to 19. That's, uh, here's what the message says. Uh, This is what God says, the God who builds a road through the ocean, who carves a path through the pounding waves, the God who summons horses and chariots and armies. They lie down and they can't get up. They're snuffed out like so many candles. Forget about what's happened. Don't keep going over old history. That's what I want us to remember. Forget what has happened. Don't keep going over old history. God's writing afresh. God is writing afresh. I'm so looking forward to this because it's going to be an adventure. God is going to start writing afresh. Any questions before we go on? Just shift to the next picture, um, Ryan. And we'll get there slowly. Any questions before we go on? Is this a dangerous thing not to be connected to the past? No. For whatever reason, God has brought us to a place where we've got to start afresh, man. Got to start afresh. I look forward to this. This means I have to disconnect to things in my past too. Examples of this. Um, Okay, so let's assume I've come from a Pentecostal tradition and uh, let's assume that when I worship, I insist on worshiping in tongues. Let's assume Paul and the Bible say no. Now I have a choice. Do I worship with the Pentecostal tradition of worshiping in tongues? Do I worship like that because the ones that I've learned under have worshiped like that? Or do I start afresh because God has different orders? Uh, Let's look at uh, the whole idea of fathers and sons, uh, spiritual fathers and sons being a very important part of how the church is built. Great, but are there other blocks that the church must be built with? In which case, fathers and sons have to take its rightful place and we can't continue building on old foundations. These are foundations that were solid for our start, but my God, when we move into another phase, we can't keep taking bricks from an old building to build new buildings. God will provide us fresh new bricks for new buildings. Fresh new stones, not old. 
I mean, I was talking to Dano about this new business that he's starting. And I remember God uh, giving Dano three new things to do with his new business, which cannot be like his old business, even though he has prospered in his old business. doesn't matter that it sounds abstract right now. The prophetic always sounds a little abstract when it begins, but God will flesh it out. All I want us to know is we are not going to honor the traditions of the past like we have done for many years. We're going to say that was good. God, you want to start a new thing. Here's a fresh piece of paper that you can start with. and We'll change whatever we need to change. You know, when someone throws a mantle on somebody, it's different from giving the mantle to them. There was a time when Elijah gave his mantle to Elisha and Elisha became like Elijah. But this is when Elijah throws his mantle on Elisha. And all that God is saying to us right now is, hey, I'm claiming you for a new chapter. Do you want to write this or don't you? If you agree and choose to, then I'll show you what needs to be done. But till then, I'm just claiming you for a new chapter. Do you want to respond or not? And the response is open to everybody. I'm going to do something unfamiliar with you, Acts 29. I'm going to do something unfamiliar with you, Jacob. You can't go back and uh, draw from your past experience. It'll be absolutely new ground. I'll show you how to do it. You might make some mistakes, but I'm claiming you for this chapter. Do you want to run this or don't you want to run this? And may you say yes, because here's what Elisha did. He takes his plow, breaks it into pieces, makes uh, firewood out of it, takes the uh, oxen, slaughters it, feeds his friends, says goodbye to his family, goodbye to his possessions. If he had 12 yoke of oxen, he was wealthy. Uh, go says goodbye to his wealth, says goodbye to his uh, relationships, and knows now that he has launched into a completely different way of living. And the great thing about God bringing us through so many changes is that when he asks for Isaac, it won't be hard to give. It's always hard to give up Isaac if you haven't given up Hagar, if you haven't given up Lot, if you haven't given up your country, clan, and people. But if you've given all that up, it's easy to give up Isaac. Any questions? If, if you don't know the principles from those teachings, listen to them. If you already know the principles, then let's look forward to what else God has for us. I mean, we just did Christ's life at Josh and Charlene's place. Christ life was a f uh, Josh and Charlene were listening to Christ's life for the first time. Uh, it was taught 10 years ago, but they were relative newbies, and so they listened to it, and it was enriching. I loved teaching it all over again. So those things are inviolable. There are some fundamentals that we'll go over again and again and again and again. This is not so much the change of uh, fundamental truths. This is the change of direction. Next one. Um, you know, when we went and, and stood outside 
in the parking lot. Uh, maybe we thought it was, some of us may have thought it's just a photo opportunity that's dressed up in the spiritual. Um, but when Chad came and explained it to me the first time, I didn't understand it. And then he explained it again. And here's what he was saying. He was saying, Jacob, this is what I sense. You need to wait and let me know if I'm right. So the first time I didn't understand it, I asked him to explain it again. So here's what he was saying. He's saying, somehow this church has come to a place where it's achieved everything that God had asked it to achieve over the last many years. It's become a place where there are people of different cultures. It's become a place where even though there is no structure, there's sufficient order. It's become a place where saints do the work, not a few. It's become a place where the Holy Spirit can move whenever he wants, however he wants, and people follow. It's become a place where things, if God demands a change, usually change happens. It's become a place where there's sufficient money. It's become a place where even though there are very few people in this church, they're reaching into places like Lithuania, which nobody goes to. It's a small, minuscule church that somehow has become potent in the hands of God. And whatever God wanted to accomplish in the past many years has been done. And so here is what God is saying. Can we go out and stand and take a photograph? And why take the photograph? Because God wants you to put this in your scrapbook as, this is done. You have reached a certain place. Now, in the sunset, take a last look at how you looked before the new day comes. And so, after having understood it the second time, we went out, took a photograph, and it was very simple. That was the night before, and now there's a new day. So now begin to walk in the light of the new things I'll place before you. Do not keep looking back at old history. It was good. Do not savor the conference. Lick your lips, get over it, move on. And that's what he meant by a prototype, that it's reached a place that it needed to reach. Now launch it in a way that it becomes very fruitful and begins to multiply rapidly. I mean, if any of you are wearing this sweatshirt, Pavan, come up. Look at, just come up, running, running, running. Look at the back. That's, a, that's exactly what he wants to do. Just wants it to begin to multiply like crazy. Yeah, you just need to look at me. <laughs> they look at you. Yeah. That's what needs to happen. So in Genesis 15, Genesis 15, Genesis 15. Genesis 15 verse 1 to wait, Genesis 15 verse 12. Genesis 15, verse 12, and then verse 17 and 18. Genesis 15, verse 12, and then verse 17 and 18. Genesis 15, verse 12. As the sun was setting, Abraham fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Verse 17. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made an agreement with Abraham and said, to your descendants I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river of Euphrates. And then he begins to name the places that he is going to give them. Guys, listen to this very carefully. Eh? The reason Abraham goes to sleep and he has dread take over him was not because he was scared, but because of the heavy presence of God that he had never encountered before. 
Till then he was taking branches and chasing away the birds of prey that were coming to try and eat his sacrifice. He falls asleep and a dread takes over him. Sometimes God is known as the dread of Jacob. It's a name that he used to have, the dread of Jacob, meaning his presence would be so terrifying. It is the same presence that they saw in Exodus 19.18 on the Mount Sinai, where the same thing happened. There was smoke and there was fire and people began to back away because they did not know how to handle his presence. I want to say something to you and I'm um, both afraid enough and excited enough about this that as we now begin to go into whatever God has for us and I promise you God will begin to flesh it out know that you will not be able to handle his presence in the way that you used to handle it it'll be heavier it'll be of greater blazing purity and you will not be able to handle it if you do not change it's like Uh, here, let me put it this way God will begin to turn up in your lives individually and in our lives corporately with a far greater strength and intensity to the point that we will either not be able to connect and we will back off and when we back off we will have to subsist on whatever we used to do before or we can enter into this presence of God and we will see glimpses of him that we've never seen before. Does that explain it any better? Let me give you another. Um, ah. Peter, James and John walked with him continuously and then one day they went up a mountain and it was called the Mount of Transfiguration. And the same Peter, James, and John that used to thump Jesus on the back and Jesus would thump them back on the back. And then they go up this mountain and for the first time, Jesus reveals his absolute divinity where his clothes begin to blaze like cloth that had been bleached. And it says Peter, James, and John began to literally hide away when they saw it and they began to tremble and they began to offer to build booths for Jesus, Moses, and Elijah because they could not handle his radiance. This is what I'm talking about. So one of two things happens when God begins to increase his intensity. Either people dive in because they are ready in their hearts and their minds or people begin to move away and negotiate from a distance. One of two things. It's always been that way in the Bible. Either you dive in because you want this or you back away and you have others step in on your behalf. It's one or the other. And always remember this, any revolution in your identity is always um, possible only after a revelation of God. Any revolution in your identity, if your identity has to change, it must first meet and see a new revelation of God before your identity changes. Doesn't matter whether it was Moses. Moses saw the burning bush, he had the ability to lead a people out of Egypt. It was not enough to lead them through the wilderness. So Moses goes up on Mount Sinai for 40 days, he changes and he's able to lead them out of uh, Egypt into the wilderness and into the promised land. Look at Peter. Peter first meets Jesus how? He is fishing. He cannot catch fish. Uh, Jesus says, throw your net on the other side. He catches fish. Peter says, do not come near me, master, for I'm a sinful man. Peter begins his journey then. The scene changes and now Peter is on the Mount of Transfiguration and he sees Jesus in his divinity and it changes him again. And then Peter uh, betrays Jesus and says things about him. And then there's a scene on a beach where Jesus holds him, restores him, and Peter changes again. And then the final one is when Peter is in the, uh, the um, 
uh, is in John chapter 21, and Jesus says to him, Peter, feed my flock. And the Holy Spirit falls in Acts chapter 2. Peter begins to lead the church. Four different occurrences had to happen in Peter's life, and each one took him from one place to the other, to the other, to the other, which is why it's a cool name to give a conference, Upgrade. As you upgrade your idea or revelation of who God is, your identity changes. And you begin to be able to handle the things that you're supposed to handle. I want to tell you, and I guarantee you this, that God's presence will grow heavier. And when it grows heavier, you will have only two choices. Embrace it, leap into it, dive into it, swim in it, or back off because I never sharpened my ability to connect with him. Back off because you can't handle it. And the more you back off, the duller you get. Any questions on that? A new vision of God is mandatory for a new commission. A new vision of God is mandatory for a new commission. And at the end of the day, what is God saying I'm commissioning you for? He's saying, listen, I took you, showed, told you what to become. You've become that. You've taken a photograph in the dusk. Now that you've taken a photograph in the dusk, I want you to know that my presence in your midst will grow really heavy. Why will it grow really heavy? Partly for your sake. Partly when people walk into this place, 1 Corinthians 14 will begin to happen. They will say God is in this place. They will not say God is in the place because the teaching is good. They will not even say God is in this place because the worship was good. They will say God is in this place because God is in this place. Everything else, the teaching and the praise and the worship and all that will be a response to God is in this place. It will not be to get him into the place. And it will be heavy. It will be there in your business. It will be there in your homes. It will be in the lives of your kids. It will be in every area of your life, not just two hours on a Sunday. And this is the heaviness we are expecting. And whenever God's heaviness begins to settle like this amongst the people 24-7, trust me, it quickens your mortal bodies and fills your wine uh, flasks and your storehouses too. Always. The Ark of the Covenant moved into Obed-Edom's house for three months. For three months, Obed-Edom was the richest man in all of Israel. Why this commission? Why, why this, I want to come and become heavier in your midst? Why this whole idea of the, what you were is done, now look at what I'm going to do? And what is he going to do? He's going to just begin to give you territory, both individually and corporately as a body as never before. If you have a business, my God, don't think Vancouver. If you've got a ministry, do not think Vancouver. If you've got a profession, do not think Vancouver. Something long ago, before the foundations of the earth, before the earth existed, before there was a single human being, before there was a blade of grass, before there was time, there was something in the mind of God with regard to Acts 29, and that was this tiny group of people will leave such a footprint upon the nations that there'll be very, very few like it. I say it with such absolute modesty and confidence that it is God. Please dive into it. The other great thing is, if you've come in the last one year, you are so blessed because now you get to benefit all the good things without the hard work.
you, this is like the, the workers who came at 3 p.m. also get the same wages. This is the best time to come to this church. So bring more. This is the best time to come to this church. Because we are eating the fruit of labors. God will plant, God will establish, God will multiply churches, businesses, homes, families in Vancouver and worldwide as his kingdom and the gospel and his ways of living progress through you. Absolutely, I guarantee it. Jacob, how can you say stuff like I guarantee it? Because what if I'm right and this is God? I'm saying it is. I'm just throwing the what if just in case you have a doubt in your head. Just put the next picture. I keep forgetting the pictures. Ryan? Yeah, that was the prototype picture that we took outside. Forget the word prototype. It was just in, just this whole thing of let's take one more picture before you move to New Zealand. And so we all stood together and we took a picture. And then we moved to New Zealand. And this was the last picture we took. It goes up on Facebook as in, oh, when we were young. And that is it. And from here on, it's going to be different. And that is why we went out and then came back in. And once I understood it, I thought, ah, oh, shucks, oh God, I'm looking forward to this. Uh, please understand, it's not just with regard to church life. It's with regard to every area of our lives. My God, if God only worked in church, we'd have to call him a Christian God. Any questions? Any questions? For those of us who are really young and are running strong, um, just know that bit and bridle may sometimes have to be put on you so that in your running strong, you still stay within uh, order. Because when I saw you guys running over the last four or five months, my heart thrills. But now as responsibilities increase, may you know that there'll always be order and ways that we should function in. Look forward to that. I mean, I've, I've told you this, but it's so worth telling for the sake of the tape. Horses that pull the king's chariot are put through a whole regimen of exercises. There are stallions and thoroughbreds that run all across the globe in meadows and um, large fields, and they eat what they want. They run like crazy. They're the ones that appear in videos and photographs. And then there are these 10 to 12 horses that are pulled out of the thousands of stallions and thoroughbreds that exist, and they're brought to a training facility. And in that facility, they begin to train them. They put... Uh, um, uh, car uh, exhausts backfiring, crowd noises, fire, uh, bullets, uh, cannons exploding, gunshots. They put these horses through all these sounds and noises and out of that they pull out six horses. And those six horses that are able to listen to the whisper of the master in the middle of all that sound and not twitch a muscle and do what the master says are the horses that get to pull the king's chariot or the Queen's Chariot through the streets of London. I love that story. Some want to be thoroughbreds who run the fields. Some want to do this other thing.
Last bit. Go to the next picture. Oh, this was a picture I took in, uh, uh, took at the Bangladesh border. Praise and worship was going on, and there were these two kids. Man, I don't know what that kid was doing. I like, what was he saying to God? What is the kid next to him doing? Anyways, the picture is just um, f- for some other reason. Guys, one of the things God wants to do uh, in this show, the third thing, and with this, uh, th- there's only three things that I wanted to extract out of the conference, is that He wants to um, He wants to rebuild the tabernacle of David in this church, rebuild the tabernacle of David, and only in one area, in terms of praise and worship. He wants to change praise and worship in this church. It's already changed a lot. Because I was so predictable, I was so grateful when uh, first Jane came and then Emily came. But uh, that has changed the style, it has changed uh, the worship into being uh, worship that is, has simplicity. I, then he added instruments and uh, people that now play, we got almost two worship teams sometimes. All that is good, but now God wants to change not the style, but the very way worship is done. I don't even know what it looks like, but I caught a glimpse of it on Monday night uh, when uh, we sang Raise a Hallelujah. Uh, I'm not saying we'll have to capture that, bottle it, and make it happen every time. But there's something that God will want to do with regard to praise and worship in this church, which will... um, uh, uh, Let me tell you why he's doing it. Amos chapter 9, verse 11 and 12. It says, and then in the last days, I will come and I'll restore the tabernacle of David. And the tabernacle of David was famous for praise and worship. Just go to First Chronicles 16. First Chronicles 16. First Chronicles 16, verse 1 to 7. 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 <coughs> they brought the ark of God and set it inside the tent that David had pitched for it, and they presented burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before God. After David had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each Israelite man and woman. He appointed some of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord, to make petition, to give thanks, and to praise the Lord, the God of Israel. Asaph was a chief, Zechariah second, then Jeel, Shemiramoth, Jehiel, Matitiah, Eliab, Benaiah, Obed-Edom, and Jeel. They were to play the lyres and harps. Asaph was to sound the cymbals in Beniah and Jehaziel. The priests were to blow the trumpets regularly before the Ark of the Covenant. And then go to verse 37. David left Asaph and his associates before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to minister there regularly according to each day's requirements. He also left Obed-Edom and his 68 associates to minister with them. Obed-Edom, son of Jeduthun, and also Hosa were gatekeepers. Look at how the message puts it. David left Asaph and his co-workers with the Ark of the Covenant of God and in charge of the work of worship. They were responsible for the needs of worship around the clock. Around the clock. And so when in Amos 9 verse 11 and 12, God says, in the last days I will rebuild David's fallen tent. He's talking about ordinary people declaring the praises of an extraordinary God and the night and day difference he has made in their lives. Ordinary people declaring the praises 
of an extraordinary God and the night and day difference he has made in their lives. And these are people who will begin to praise and worship in a way that Acts 29 has not experienced and it's going to happen. I don't know how, but I know that because we are willing and because the worship team will learn to be willing and because we as a church will respond that God will change this. God will change it. And why is he doing this? Go to Acts 15, 16. Acts 15, 16. Why does he want to change praise and worship? And remember, praise and worship is the act of ordinary people declaring the praises of an extraordinary God and the night and day difference he has made in their lives, sometimes after he has done a great deed, sometimes before he has done a great deed, because they believe in the one who said he will. And why is it important to rebuild the tabernacle of David and launch praise and worship like we've never done before? Because it says in Acts 15, 16, so that the outsiders may seek God, so that the pagans who do not believe may find him. Acts 15, 16. And this is the third thing that I believe will begin to change after the conference. As we change in how we magnify him in our worship and praise, he will be lifted up and he will be known differently and he will draw men unto him. As we begin to magnify him in our worship and praise, he will be lifted up. He will be known differently. He will draw men unto him. As we change in how we magnify him in our worship and praise, he will be lifted up. He will be known differently and he will draw men unto him. As we change in how we magnify him in our worship and praise, he will be lifted up. He will be known differently and he will draw men unto him. These are the three things that I wanted to pull out of this conference. The first one, the first one is that, uh, you know, in Hebrews chapter 7, there's this line which says, when Jesus came, he had to start a new priesthood. He could not continue from the line of Aaron. He had to start a new priesthood. He came from the tribe of Judah. And so the first thing I want to say to you, if you go down these three points, is the first point is, guys, we are disconnecting from the ways and the traditions of the past brought to us by honorable men and women who built us up. And we are saying, thank you. But there is a new chapter, a new page, a new pathway ahead of us, and we cannot walk into it as long as we are hooked on to anything from that past. So we are free from it to walk into a completely new way of doing things that we are unfamiliar with. That's the first one. The second one is that a, a new commission where God wanted to achieve something through this group of people and he achieved that. And now he's saying, take a photograph as the sun sets. This is your history. Do not look at the former things. Do not go over your history again. It's done. Great job, guys. Now that you have come to this place, you are potent enough. You have the potency to now become something else. And so, starting today, I now launch you into a new way where I'll give you new territory. I'll give uh, each of you, whether it be in your business, your families, your homes, your professions, your church, I will, through you, cause the gospel to progress, 
my life to progress, churches to multiply. And I'll do it all over the world because I want you to know, Acts 29, that before Jacob was born, before any of you were born, before the world existed, before there was a blade of grass, before there was time when it was still null and void, I had in my mind this tiny little church called Acts 29 that would leave a massive footprint, my footprint, in nations across the globe. You cannot even imagine what I have for you. Therefore now, as the dread of my presence begins to occupy you as a people like never before, and it will get heavy and you have only two choices, either draw near and be pulled into it or step away like people did in the Old Testament and say, Moses, you go speak to them because I don't want to come. My presence will grow heavier, so heavy, not just for your sake, but for the sake of those that walk in, because they will say, God is here, and we know it. They will not say, like Jacob did in the Old Testament, that God is here, and I did not know it. You will become the gate of heaven. You will become the ladder that I ascend and descend on. And I will give you new territory that will span from Vancouver all the way to New Zealand. Oh, you little of strength. You remind me so much of the church of Philadelphia. For behold, I place before you an open door. And I'm saying it to you. That prototype is beautiful. I treasure it. It's like a trophy. But I got new games, new ways, new roads, new paths for you to play. And I'm saying to you, if you have joined recently, do not go away. You have tasted right. Stay. I'm not saying this so that you stay, guys. I'm just saying this because God's saying it. And then the third bit is, I'll change the way you praise and worship. I'm rebuilding the tabernacle of David in your midst. I'll change the way you praise and worship. You will magnify me. You will magnify me in your worship and praise. I will be lifted up. I will be known differently. I will draw men unto me. Ordinary people declaring the praises of an extraordinary God and the night and day difference you, he, he has made in your lives. This will happen. These three things will happen. That's what I wanted to extract from the conference. I had a different message based on uh, uh, the vision that God has given us for 2020, and I had it ready. And then at some point yesterday evening, God said, no, you need to tell them what I'm about, and then you can go back to the 2020 vision. Do you have any more pictures, Ryan? Yeah, that's the spread of how far God will take us. Uh, go back one. Yeah. The last little thing is on Auckl in Auckland, New Zealand. I might go there next week. Uh, not next week, uh, a week from today. Yeah. I wanted to read this out on you as a benediction. A new day is coming, announces the Lord. Things are going to happen so fast your head will swim. One thing fast on the heels of the other. You won't be able to keep up. Everything will hap be happening at once. And everywhere you look, blessings. Blessings like wine pouring off the mountains and hills. I'll make everything right again for my people. You will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. You will plant vineyards and drink their wine. You will make gardens and eat their fruit. And he's not saying this about church. Please don't think he divides life into church life and then the six days of the week. He's so not like that. One more time. A new day is coming, announces the Lord. This is from Amos chapter 9. A new day is coming, announces the Lord. Things are going to happen so fast, your head will swim. One thing, f f one thing fast on the heels of the other. You won't be able to keep up. 
everything will be happening at once. And everywhere you look, blessings. Blessings like wine pouring off the mountains and the hills. I'll make everything right again for my people. You will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. You will plant vineyards and drink their wine. You will make gardens and eat their fruit. That's what awaits us. And so the only thing I want to do now in conclusion is I'm going to ask three or four people to come and just pray for me because uh, I have to lead this and I don't have what it takes and need help to do this correctly. Um, I know God will give it, but I just want three or four people to pray for me and then uh, if you need prayer, someone will pray for you and we can go home. Uh, so I'm going to ask uh, Jeevan and Dano and Sue and um, let's pick one more. Sue and May and uh, to come up and just pray for me and Derek and Jillian to come up and pray for me. That's six people so we still have 15 minutes. You don't have to take all the 15 minutes up. So if you guys can come up. Okay, so what are we doing? We are praying for Jacob. Why? Because this is a mammoth task. Um, and he needs to know how to do this. If he doesn't do it right, we all suffer. So think in prayer. I'm just going to leave the mic here. Whoever wants to can pick it up. Yeah, recording, sir. Uh, I have a separate recording on my phone. Not on my phone. I'll set this.